Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this is episode 211, The Battles of Basing and Meriden. This show is ad-free due to member support, and as a way of thanking members for keeping the show independent, I offer members-only content, including extra episodes and rough transcripts. You can get instant access to all the members' extras by signing up for membership at thebritishhistorypodcast.com. It costs about the price of a pint per month. And thank you very much to Lisa, David, and Jordan for signing up already. It's January of 871. Let me try that again. It's still January of 871. A tremendous amount has happened in the last fortnight, and the year has barely begun. Now, people do tend to compress the past, especially periods that they're unfamiliar with, into short blurbs. It's why many people are completely willing to accept a minute-by-minute account of World War II, but balk at the idea of spending more than an episode per decade during the Anglo-Saxon era. Frankly, the Anglo-Saxon era was a long time ago, and most of us are unfamiliar with it, so there's a tendency to want to assume that nothing important happened back then, and we should just breeze right through it until we get to the period where people don't have weird names. Usually the thinking tends to go along the lines of, we have multiple people named Athelred? That's ridiculous, and it's also impossible to keep straight. Hurry up and get to the sensible period of history where we have multiple people named William. And I get it, right? These are strange names, and it was a long time ago. But as I need to remind people on occasion, time passed at the same rate all throughout history. A minute back then was the same length as a minute today. And just like how 2016 has been an incredibly eventful clusterfuck of a year, 871 was turning out to be pretty much the same for the West Saxons. Consequently, we're still in 871, and we're picking up right after King Athelred, Prince Alfred, and the Ferd of Wessex chased the Danes back to the royal ton of Reading. It was a great victory for the West Saxons. But unfortunately, that victory didn't mean that they were able to retake Reading. Nor did it mean that they had the men, the resources, and the depth of morale that would allow them to besiege the ton or even attempt to take the walls in an assault. It looks like King Athelred, remembering the disaster of the Siege of Snottingham, decided that he didn't want to chance another break in morale. And so he withdrew his forces, likely allowing many of them to return to their homes in order to avoid another series of desertions. Don't forget that the Ferd were simply farmers with spears and shields. They weren't really warriors. They wanted to go home, not just because they didn't like fighting and camping in the dead of winter, but also because they wanted to be close to their families, both for comfort reasons and probably also protection reasons. The fact is that this Danish force was not the only threat in Britain. Wales was still quite a problem for the Anglo-Saxons. East Anglia was now a Viking kingdom, Northumbria was also a Viking kingdom, and who knows how many other war bands were out there lurking in the shadows. Who knows how many other forces might be marching? I mean, these Danes were famous for their small-scale hit-and-run raids. The West Saxon anxiety must have been at an all-time high. As a consequence, King Athelred might have thought that this was a good time to rest and resupply. There have been two major battles and one skirmish, and the end result of all this fighting was essentially a tie. 
neither side had come out of any particular battle as the undisputed winner of the war, so it's still anyone's game. And both sides were battered from all the fighting, and they needed some rest. So my guess is that King Athelred set up some scouts to keep an eye on the Danes. And then he sent some of his more rebellious forces home and took the remainder of the Ferd back to his stronghold, possibly Winchester, and then began to plan for the next engagement. And heading back was actually a good idea, because the feasts of St. Fabian and St. Sebastian were coming up on the 20th, and the people were really due for a good feast. The feast for the Epiphany was already ruined by these Danes, and the last half of the 12 days of Christmas had been stomped on by these pagans. The Ferd was probably itching for some good drink, good food, and games, stories, and all the things that you would expect from a feasting day. So they probably headed back and began their preparations. Meanwhile, within the walls of Reading, I'm betting that King Halfdan, who was now the sole king of the Danish invasion force, was probably wondering what to do next. Despite getting to the battlefield first, and despite picking the terms of engagement and even having the benefit of the high ground, these peasants and the boys who were leading them into battle had beaten the Danes at their own game. And now his partner in this invasion was dead, as were large numbers of his men, not to mention many of his jarls. Any provisions that they brought with them, or any food they gained by raiding the local population during the last excursion, would have been lost. So their supply troubles, which probably forced this march in the first place, were still haunting the Danish forces. And to make matters worse, they were deep in unfamiliar enemy territory, with an army out there that could be pretty much anywhere. From their perspective, in that last battle, King Athelred appeared out of nowhere, and he doubled the size of the West Saxon fighting force. So who knows how many warriors they had hiding out there in the hills and the wooded areas. And the Danish numbers had been substantially shortened. And due to the fact that it was winter, they also didn't have much hope for reinforcements. This was a mess, and I bet Halfdan's men knew it. So my guess is that due to the time of the year and how battered both sides were without any clear victor in the war, I'm thinking that the West Saxon forces probably pulled back to recuperate. And they probably hoped that the Danes would just stay behind their walls in the meantime. And meanwhile, the Danes probably stayed behind their walls as well and tried to figure out what they could do about their supply problems. And that's how it went for about a fortnight. And then, within a day or two of the feasts of St. Sebastian and St. Fabian, which both took place on January 20th, I'm guessing that messengers arrived and let King Athelred know that an army of Danes had left Reading and were heading south, in the direction of the royal ton of Basing. It seems that they were looking to take advantage of the West Saxon administrative system, and they were looking to resupply off the personal stash of the king and his eldermen, because they were going from one royal ton, which was Reading, to another one, Basing. Now today, it's called Old Basing, and parts of it are classic Christmas tin scene. It's really cute, especially on the old streets, which have lovely little cottages and pretty much everything you'd want from a small English village. But in the Dark Ages, Basing was named for the family of a prominent figure in the region, Bassa. 
And that family was known as the Basingas, which eventually gave their name to the village, Basing. Over time, that village became a key player in the organization of the Kingdom of Wessex and housed some of the rents that were collected from the Hampshire region. So it's a good idea to go there and get some food. But beyond being Halfdan's best bet for a resupply, there was another feature that made Basing particularly attractive. It was about a 17-mile march to the south of Reading. And from there, it was only another 21-mile march to the West Saxon stronghold of Winchester. So, besides being a good spot to resupply, Basing was essentially a halfway point on the road to Winchester. Now, we don't have any first-hand accounts of King Halfdan's plans, but given the number of tons that he could have marched to, selecting Basing seems like a deliberately provocative move and a clear step towards the ultimate goal of crushing the House of Wessex. King Athelred of Wessex had to respond to this, and so he and Prince Alfred gathered the West Saxon Ferd and marched on Basing. The Chronicle tells us that this was within a fortnight of Ashdown. So many scholars put the date on January 22nd, 871. But of course, dating in this period is difficult, and, quote, about a fortnight, end quote, could mean a lot of things. But it probably was sometime around January 22nd, 871, that the forces of King Halfdan met King Athelred and Prince Alfred in battle at Basing. The accounts for most of these battles are sparse in detail, but this one is particularly bad. We don't know how many men were brought to the field. We don't know the relative condition of the forces. We don't know who got to Basing first. We don't even know if there's any splitting of forces like there was done in Ashdown. Here's how bad it is. We don't even know if there's a pre-fight prayer. The Chronicle and Asser remain really quiet on this entire affair. But here's what we do know. The fighting was fierce, and the writers made a point to let us know that it went on for a very long time. So we can assume that the two forces were probably closely matched in numbers and ability. Based on the fact that King Halfdan used Redding as a base of operations, and also as a retreat point, this force probably didn't represent the full Danish army that was operating in the West Saxon lands, but rather just a large portion of it, with the remainder staying probably back at Reading to hold possession of the ton. I mean, it's no good winning a battle if you lose your stronghold and any provisions and ships you might have brought with you. So my read on this is that both sides were probably battered, and they were probably also lacking the numbers that we'd seen at the start of the month. When I think about this battle, I think about the last round in a heavyweight match. There's still power there, but not nearly as much as what they had in round one. And the fact that this fight went on so long also tells us that this was a Pyrrhic battle for both sides. With no clear winner emerging and no clear advantage, this would have been a matter of morale and staying power, with both sides likely struggling to compensate for mounting casualties. The silence in the record regarding tactics also suggests to me that there weren't any noteworthy strategies that were being employed. No surprise attacks from either side. Just a straightforward battle between shield walls that went on for what must have seemed like forever. Now so far, in every battle of 871, we've been told about various high-ranking nobles who were killed. 
but we don't hear about any of those at Basing either. And I don't know what that means. Whether there wasn't anyone worth mentioning who was killed, whether the silence was for propaganda purposes, or whether there was some other reason for this. But the lack of a mention of any major deaths is striking. All our records tell us is that after a very long and brutal fight, the West Saxon shield wall broke. And at the end of the day, the Danes remained the masters of the field, and presumably, Basing. But what they don't say is whether they held Basing, or whether they looted it and retreated to Reading with anything that wasn't nailed down. Now, based upon what comes later in the record, I suspect that they simply looted it, maybe burned a bunch of it down, and then left. Though I also suspect that might not have been the plan to begin with. I think they wanted to go to Winchester, because Basing was a good waypoint for the conquest of Winchester. But it was only good if King Halfdan had a strong enough army to hold it. And after all of this fighting, I don't think he did, especially since Basing lacked the defensive qualities that Redding had. Redding was a natural fortress, but not Basing. And meanwhile, Halfdan's army was badly weakened following these battles. They'd fought three major battles and one skirmish in the course of about, what, three weeks? And so far, the only thing that had come out of it all was that everyone was limping and also getting pretty tired of this whole thing. A lot of shipmates had died. And for what? To hold a makeshift fort on the nexus of two rivers? This was supposed to be an easy conquest. And it was now the dead of winter. The strained morale of the Danish army was probably on the verge of total collapse. So spreading his forces out and hoping for the best in this situation would have been madness, especially if the West Saxons thought they had any chances of gathering another Ferd to attack them. So my guess is that as soon as it was practical, Halfdan went back to Reading. Besides, with the victory at Basing, their supply problems were probably over. On the other side, it looks like the army of Wessex was similarly dispirited and exhausted, and it looks like they went back to their homes to hunker down for the rest of winter. But while the Ferd and the army were licking their wounds, King Athelred, Prince Alfred, and King Halfdan all had something in common. They were all making plans for what to do once the land thawed and the campaigning season of spring arrived. Now, the record remains silent for the next two months, these two dead months of winter. And scholars suspect that, for the most part, the fighting had stopped, and what little violence occurred was in the form of small-scale raids and skirmishes against those raiders. But then we're told that about two months after the Battle of Basing, the armies of Halfdan and Athelred met once again at Marden, or Meriton. Unlike Reading and Basing, we don't know exactly where this was, so it's hard to draw details of what the strategy for the two forces might have been that led up to this clash. Furthermore, the dating is soupy. Saying about two months isn't exactly the best way to date events. So while most chronological histories place the next meeting of these armies on March 22nd, 871, at a place called Marden, it's probably safer to say that the battle happened in the spring, somewhere. But there is something that I want to point out, because I think it's critical for our analysis of these records. 
Asser doesn't say anything about the Battle of Martin. Not a word. Zip. Now keep that in mind when we talk about this fight and the aftermath, because I think it actually is quite important. So the Chronicle tells us that about two months after Basing, King Athelred, Prince Alfred, and Bishop Haemund fought the Danes at Marden. Much like at Ashdown, the brothers split their forces in two. Now it's not clear where Bishop Haemund served in this structure, but splitting their forces was a sound strategy. And it appears to have paid off because the West Saxon attack broke the Danish morale and they fled the field. Personally, I think there's a good chance that they used similar tactics to Ashdown, and they used either a flanking attack or maybe a surprise reserve assault, and that caused the rout of the Danes. We're then told that the West Saxons held the field and were, quote, enjoying the victory for some time during the day, end quote. So it sounds like for much of the day, they had settled down to tend to their wounded, deal with their fallen comrades, and of course, loot the enemy. But then the Danes reformed, and they attacked again. And this battle seems to have been more along the lines of Basing. No surprises or tactics, just straight-up fighting, with both sides taking heavy casualties. And in the fighting, Bishop Haemund was slain. And then the West Saxons broke, and they fled the field. I think... To be honest, the chroniclers were kind of ambiguous about some of these details. I mean, it's clear that the Danes won, and that a lot of people were killed. But as for who split their forces, and who ran and when? Well, the lawyer and me can't get past some of the ambiguities in the record. And I'll let you judge it for yourself, but here's what the chronicle says. Quote, About two months after this, King Athelred and Alfred, his brother, fought with the army at Marden. They were in two divisions, and they put them both to flight, enjoying the victory for some time during the day. And there was much slaughter on either hand, but the Danes became the masters of the field. And there was slain Bishop Hammond, with many other good men. End quote. Now, if you read this, the sheer number of semicolons alone would give you pause. I'm honestly not sure who exactly enjoyed the victory, as the Chronicle says. The but the Danes comment does make it sound like it was the West Saxons, which is why I told it that way. But honestly, this entire entry is a mess. A little basic punctuation would have cleared this whole thing up, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But regardless of how the day went, at the end of it, Bishop Hammond lay dead, and King Athelred and Prince Alfred had suffered yet another defeat at the hands of these pagans. But... Remember how I said that Asser doesn't say anything about this battle? Well, I think that's really important because, much like the Chronicle, Asser was putting together a rough chronology of these events. And instead of telling us about the Battle of Marden, he tells us about the death of King Athelred of Wessex. He tells us that after Easter, so after mid-April, King Athelred died and he was buried at Wimborne Minster. But he doesn't tell us how he died. Nor does the Chronicle. And that's starting to get a bit fishy, isn't it? All of these sons of old King Athelwolf dying, and there's no causes? They just drop dead, and the Danes just happen to be in the area nearly every time. It's weird. 
Needless to say, there's quite a few theories about what happened here, and many scholars suspect that King Athelred actually died in battle. Or maybe he died sometime later as the result of wounds that he sustained at the Battle of Marden. But whatever the case, the king was dead. And out of all the sons of Athelwulf, now there was just Alfred, the last Athling. Kent. Mercia. Cornwall. Wessex. Long ago, the Heptarchy lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Northmen attacked. Only the King of Wessex, master of the Southern Kingdoms, could stop them. But when they needed him most, he died. The crown is passed, and the people of Wessex have found a new king, an athling named Alfred. And although his intellect is great, he still has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Alfred can save the world. Or England. Southern England. I think he could save Wessex. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com. And please come and join us on Twitter. It's actually a fantastic way to go and interact with the community. And I've kind of fallen in love with it. So if you'd like to join us, we're at British Podcast. And if you'd like to join any of our other communities, you can find links to all of them at thebritishhistorypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. All right, time for another pub quiz. You know the drill. Question one. Prince Alfred collapsed and manifested what many believe to be full-blown Crohn's disease right in the middle of a major event. What was that event? Question two. In 869, the Danes marched into East Anglia, and shortly thereafter, King Edmund, also known as St. Edmund the Martyr, died. According to the contemporary records, how did he die? Question three. Many of the stories of how the Vikings persecuted Christians for their faith tended to appear from 12th century sources. I pointed out one of the many events that was occurring around the 12th century that might have accounted for this sudden embellishment. What was happening in the 12th century that might have led to an increased popularity of persecution stories? Question four, true or false? There is evidence of a flourishing Christian community in the Viking-dominated North, even in the early years of the Danish occupation. Question five, in 870, Ivor and Ubba were gone, and now Halfdan and Bagsek were leading the great army. And their next order was to march on the West Saxon royal ton of Reading but they did something surprising with this attack. What was it? Question seven. Following the victory at Engel Field, the West Saxons advanced on Reading and attacked the Danes. Now the West Saxon shield wall was strong. They were steadily pushing the Danish defensive force towards the town walls and things were going really well until what happened? Question eight. Asser tells us that at Ashdown, Prince Alfred fought like a wild boar. He and his men were fearless, even though they faced the combined forces of five Danish Jarls. And meanwhile, 
What was his brother, King Athelred, apparently doing? Question nine. Asser might have been giving us more than a little spin with that Ashdown story. And what do some scholars think that King Athelred was actually doing there at Ashdown? Question 10. Following Ashdown, there were two more major battles, at Basing and then at Meryton. The West Saxons lost both. And following Meryton, something politically significant happened in Wessex. What was it? All right, let's see how you did. Question one. Prince Alfred collapsed and manifested what many believe to be full-blown Crohn's disease, right in the middle of a major event. What was that event? It was his wedding. Talk about bad timing. Question two. In 869, the Danes marched into East Anglia, and shortly thereafter, King Edmund, also known as St. Edmund the Martyr, died. According to the contemporary records, how did he die? He died in battle against the Danes. Question three. Many of the stories of how the Vikings persecuted Christians for their faith tended to appear from 12th century sources. I pointed out one of the many events that was occurring around the 12th century that might have accounted for this sudden embellishment. What was happening in the 12th century that might have led to an increased popularity of persecution stories? The Crusades. Question four. True or false? There is evidence of a flourishing Christian community in the Viking-dominated North, even in the early years of the Danish occupation. True. Question five. In 870, Ivor and Ubba were gone, and now Halfdan and Bagsek were leading the great army. And their next order was to march on the West Saxon royal ton of Reading. But they did something surprising with this attack. What was it? They attacked in the dead of winter, right around Christmas. Question seven. Following the victory at Englefield, the West Saxons advanced on Reading and attacked the Danes. Now the West Saxon shield wall was strong. They were steadily pushing the Danish defensive force towards the town walls, and things were going really well until what happened? The bulk of the Danish army, which had been hiding behind the walls, burst out and attacked the West Saxons on the flank, causing a rout. Question eight. Asser tells us that at Ashdown, Prince Alfred fought like a wild boar. He and his men were fearless, even though they faced the combined forces of five Danish Jarls. And meanwhile, what was his brother, King Athelred, apparently doing? Praying in his tent. Question nine. Asser might have been giving us more than a little spin with that Ashdown story. And what do some scholars think that King Athelred was actually doing there at Ashdown? Preparing a surprise attack for once the Danish flank was exposed. Question 10. Following Ashdown, there were two more major battles, at Basing and then at Meryton. The West Saxons lost both. And following Meryton, something politically significant happened in Wessex. What was it? King Athelred died. Okay, I hope you did well, and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening.